Good morning, everybody. Can you hear me? Hey, my name is Joe, filling in for Ryan today. I'm one of the pastors at Vineyard Covington, and um, I'm also a son of this house, this church. And so it's an honor to be here. And I'm going to join everybody else and say Happy Father's Day. Such a great day for dads. I'm a dad and um, get to be a granddad soon. <laughs> Can you believe it? Also, just want to honor my dad who's here today. His name's Barry. A lot of you know him. He's been such an amazing influence in my life. Yeah, let's give him a hand too. The founding pastor of this church. A lot to be grateful for this morning. So, as you can see by the screens, we've been in a series on gospel fluency. Does everybody know what that means, gospel fluency? It's not something we throw around too commonly, at least that term. But the gospel is simply good news, and fluency is how good are we at talking about it? It's one way to think about it, right? So the last two weeks, Ryan has been talking about this subject, and he kind of started just talking about some of the things that are difficult about it, because it's a struggle for all of us. And uh, last week, he talked a lot about our stories and how much they matter. Did you guys get to hear that amazing video testimony last week? It was fantastic, wasn't it? Stories matter. Your story matters. You're going to have and maybe have had opportunities to tell your story to other people that need to hear it. But, there's always a but. If your heart for other people isn't aligned with Jesus, it's not going to be as effective when we share the gospel. We have to be able to see people more like Jesus sees them in order to share our hearts and our stories effectively. And that's what I wanna talk about today, but we should probably pray first, just so I don't mess anything up. <laughs> so Holy Spirit, would you come right now? I know that you're already here. We know that you're doing good stuff in the room. Just ask that you would open eyes and ears and that you would work in our hearts, Lord, as we talk about your heart for us. In Jesus' name, amen. Okay. So, the good news, the good news, the gospel fluency that we've been talking about. We're talking about the heart of Jesus today. So what is the heart of Jesus? Do you know what the heart of Jesus is? We kind of know, right? I mean, there's a lot of examples of his heart throughout scripture. And there's also this book, and I saw, I saw a stack of this book uh, out in the lobby last week. It's called Gentle and Lowly. Has anybody seen that book or maybe is reading it? A few of you probably are. Yeah. Thanks, Lynn. <laughs> it's a great book. It's a book by Dane Ortland, And uh, the title just refers to Matthew 11, 28 through 30, which says, come to me all who labor and are heavy laden and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me for I am gentle and lowly in heart and you will find rest for your souls. So think about it like that. Think of Jesus's heart as gentle. Think of Jesus's heart as lowly. Is that how you think about Jesus's heart? Gentle and lowly? Sounds pretty humble. 
So I have a, a quote from the book that is gonna pop up here on the screen I'm gonna read to you that I think explains his heart even more. It says, the cumulative testimony of the four gospels is that when Jesus Christ sees the fallenness of the world all about him, his deepest impulse, his most natural instinct is to move toward the sin and suffering, not away from it. Like the deepest thing in his heart is to move towards suffering. That's why the, the subtitle of this book is Jesus' Heart for Sufferers and Sinners, which is all of us, right? His deepest impulse. I don't know about you, but I need more of that. Yeah. <laughs> Anybody need more of that? Yeah. I moved to Covington about four years ago, and uh, it was before I knew we were gonna plant a vineyard church, but that's what we ended up doing. But at that time, we, I was driving to my new house, which is actually really old, as we were getting the floors refinished and just doing some things around the house. And uh, I would drive down my street, which is Scott Street in Covington, and I would see people walking down the street that scared me. <laughs> I would see people walking down the street that I said, I think that's probably someone to avoid. I would see people walking down the street that I didn't even wanna look at. And I thought to myself, Jesus, I need your heart for these people. These are my new neighbors. <laughs> these are the people that I might have an opportunity to speak with. I need your heart. I need your eyes to see them the way that you see them. I need more of that deep impulse to move towards that rather than away from it or to look at it rather than through it. Have you ever looked through somebody? I have. That's not Jesus' heart though, is it? And as we follow Jesus and try to be more like him, we want our deepest impulse to be to move towards those things. Who are those people? for you, the people that scare you a little bit, that you look through, that you kind of subconsciously avoid. We all have them. His heart's also deeply compassionate. The scriptures talk about this a ton. Jesus has compassion to heal the sick. Matthew 14 says, he had compassion on them and healed their sick. It's to feed the hungry. In Matthew 15, Jesus says, I have compassion on the crowd because they've been with me for three days and have nothing to eat. He has compassion to teach. In Mark 6, it says, and he had compassion on them. He began to teach them many things. In Luke 7, it says, he had compassion to wipe away the tears of those that are mourning. He had compassion on a woman and said, do not weep. The Greek word, for compassion, and I'm not fluent in Greek, so bear with me. The Greek word for compassion is the same in all these texts and refers literally to the bowels or guts of a person, like deep, deep, deep inside of you. It's an ancient way of referring to what rises up in your innermost core. That's pretty intense, right? You got really quiet when I said that. 
But this compassion reflects the deepest heart of Jesus. And you know, one of the things that we throw around in our church, and I've heard it in this church as well, that we wanna be a family on mission, right? We wanna be a family on mission. We wanna think about Sunday as like the huddle of the football game, right? Some people think about Sunday though as the game. It's the huddle. We get together, we encourage each other, we lift each other up, and then we go out and live a life on mission, right? Because we wanna follow Jesus on his mission as obedience-based disciples. That's Jesus's love language, isn't it? He says, if you love me, you, you obey the things I say to do. Or why do you call me Lord, but don't do what I say? That's convicting. <laughs> but we wanna follow him on his mission. So what is his mission? What is his mission? Anybody know what his mission is? I, 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 heard a, I, heard a, I heard it in there somewhere. It's to seek and save the lost. It's way bigger than that too, but that's one way to summarize it. It's to seek and save the lost. And there's a great example of this in Luke 19. You know the story of Zacchaeus? It's a great one. Jesus talks about, um, or rather Luke talks about him in, in the 19th chapter. And I'm just gonna kind of summarize it here. So Zacchaeus is the chief tax collector, but he hears about Jesus and he wants to get his eyes on him. And so he goes, but he's short. You remember the, the song? Zacchaeus was a... <laughs> you guys know it. You know what's crazy about that is like, I probably remember that more than the heart of the story, which is probably not good. I just remember that he was short, but he was, and he had to get up in a tree in order to see Jesus. And Jesus in verse five reached the spot. He looked up and he said, Zacchaeus, come down. I must stay at your house today. So he came down at once and welcomed him gladly. Like, first of all, how does he know his name? When Jesus sees people, he calls us by name, doesn't he? He doesn't look through us. All the people saw this though, and guess what they did? They began to mutter. Do you mutter at all? I don't think that's a word we use anymore either, mutter. I know it's not good. I know it's not good, but they began to mutter. And they said, he's gone to be the guest of a sinner. What's the matter with this guy? And then at the end of the story, Jesus says, the son of man came to seek and save the lost. Like, you wanna know why I'm gonna be the guest of a sinner? You wanna know why my innermost being rises up for people like this person who almost everyone probably hated? Because this is what I came to do. <laughs> this is why I'm here. The message paraphrase says, the Son of Man came to find and restore the lost, which is another good way to put it, isn't it? And like I said, Zacchaeus was like one of the worst dudes societally at the time. He was not well-liked. Tax collectors cheated a lot of people. Who, who are the tax collectors in America in 2023? Not like literally. 
not the IRS, okay? <laughs> I'm not calling the IRS out. But who are the tax collectors in our society that most people look at and just don't like? Politicians is pretty common, isn't it? And a lot of other people, honestly. It's true, isn't it? Are those the people you're drawn to? Are those the people that you run towards and call by name? Maybe not in a nice way. Right? I want you to be thinking about that as we continue to talk this morning. Um, So, you know the term that we just described. Jesus said he came to seek and save the lost. And the lost, it's, it's a Christian term in many ways that is meant to describe people that don't have life with Jesus, right? I kind of like, I kind of don't like it. Over time, I've kind of like been like, oh, let's not say that anymore. It sounds, it doesn't sound good. You know, have you ever seen the bumper sticker, not all who wonder are lost? You know that one? Maybe it's a t-shirt even. I get it and I agree, but I heard it framed differently Um, And I want to give a quote here. It's going to be on the screen as well. It's from Tyler Staten, who's a pastor and author. And he wrote, When speaking of people outside of a covenant relationship with God through salvation, Jesus often used the term lost. Lost describes a person searching for home, for safety, for rest, but lacking the certainty that they're headed in the right direction. I want to say that again. Lost describes a person searching for home, for safety, for rest, but lacking the certainty that they're headed in the right direction. It's a word of compassion, not categorization, and certainly not condemnation. And I just want to say to you today, if you're not sure if you have life with Jesus, if you feel like you're just searching for home, Jesus has his arms open wide for you. And he's inviting you into so much. So let that sit on your heart today. Someone that is lost is a person that is of great value. Sometimes I even think when I'm praying for people that don't know Jesus yet, I make my list people of great value. And think about it this way. I heard this comparison and it it stuck with me. If you graduated from high school, do you know where your high school diploma is? Raise your hand. A few of you do, a few of you do, yeah. If you didn't know where it was, would you consider it lost? Not really, right? You don't really need it for anything. Not really lost. It's not of great value for the most part. It may have been at some point. But if you're getting ready to come to church on Sunday morning and you get the kids all ready and everybody's at least got most of their clothes on and then you can't find the keys to the car, what happens? Ooh, panic, right? I think those keys are lost. (laughs) There's a difference. They are of great value in that moment. You need them big time in order to get where you're going. 
And to me, probably the best chapter in the Bible when it comes to Jesus' heart for those that are lost is Luke 15. And if you know me, you know how much I love this chapter, and we're going to take pretty much the rest of the time talking about it. So get ready. And if you brought your Bible, open it to Luke 15. Do you have it open? I know it's Bible phone mostly, and that's good too. I want you to follow along with me. It's not going to all be up here. But this is where we're going. So I'm going to read this uh, starting in verse 1. It says, Now the tax collectors and sinners were all gathering around to hear Jesus. But the Pharisees and the teachers of the law muttered. Oh, here we go again. They're muttering. This can't be good. This man welcomes sinners and eats with them. So here's something I want to point out. You know how when you're growing up and mom and dad said, hey, you know what? You're going to end up being the average of the five people you spend the most time with. Have you ever heard that one? Or something similar, like watch out who's around you and stuff like that. There may have been a little bit of the Pharisee's heart with that, right? Like why is Jesus hanging out with these people? You know, come on. But who's influencing who here? (laughs) When Jesus is hanging out with sinners, I think he's influencing them, don't you? So when you think about the people that you spend time with that don't know Jesus, who's influencing who? Right? It's pretty important. Then Jesus told them this parable. Suppose one of you has 100 sheep and loses one. Doesn't he leave the 99 in the open country and go after the lost sheep until he finds it? And when he finds it, he joyfully puts it on his shoulders and he goes home and he calls his friends and neighbors together and he says, rejoice with me. I've found my lost sheep. I tell you the same way that there will be more rejoicing in heaven over one sinner who repents than over 99 righteous persons who do not repent. Something worth noting here, Pharisees considered shepherds to be part of a very unclean profession. This was not something that they could relate to, the character in this story. Jesus is bringing someone up and making them the main person in the story that they really don't have a grid or any heart of compassion for, right? And Jewish teachers at the time would stress God's forgiveness for the repentant, but they really didn't talk about God going after sinners. It's a big difference. And Jesus says, you leave everybody else and you go and do a one out of 100, right? You guys okay? All right, checking in, making sure we don't need to like stretch or anything. All right, all right, good. Just making sure. I know it's easy to drift. Story number two is the parable of the lost coin. Verse eight says, suppose a woman has 10 silver coins and loses one. Doesn't she light a lamp and sweep the house and search carefully until she finds it? And when she finds it, she calls her friends and neighbors together and says, rejoice with me. I've found my lost coin. In the same way, I tell you, there's rejoicing in the presence of the angels of God over one sinner who repents. Again, Pharisees are not impressed with the main character here. It's a woman. 
in this time in, in history, women were not considered to be that important. It sucks. It's bad. It's not cool. But this is a character they would not have been able to relate to as well. And the 10 coins in this story were probably the woman's dowry. They're really, really important, which is why it's kind of like those lost keys. She sweeps the whole house. They were lost. I need to find this coin. This is incredibly important in my life. This is one out of 10. Because the value increases as we tell the parables. And then we get to the story. The story, the parable of the lost son. Lost sheep, lost coin, lost son. Jesus says there was a man who had two sons. The younger one said to his father, Father, give me my share of the estate. So he divided his property between them. And you probably know this, but this is kind of like the equivalent of saying, Dad, kind of wish you were dead. Can we just like act like you are and you give me the money that you would if when you die? Right? And the fact that the father grants the request in the story here would be another way the Pharisees would not be able to identify with a character. Like they would have thought this guy was stupid or soft. So they're hearing this story, they're being like, this, whoa, okay. Not long after that, the son got together all he had, set off for a distant country and squandered his wealth in wild living. After he'd spent everything, there was a severe famine in the country and he began to be in need. So he went and hired himself out to a citizen of that country who sent him to his fields to feed the pigs. He longed to feed his, fill his stomach with the pods the pigs were eating, but no one gave him anything. Then when he came to his senses, he said, how many of my father's hired servants have food to spare? Here I am starving to death. I'll set out, go back to my father and say to him, Father, I've sinned against heaven and you. I'm no longer worthy to be your son. Make me like one of your hired servants. So he got up and went to his father. I just wanna point out, the son is returning out of hunger, not repentance. He's got a speech prepared, but it's so he can fill his belly, it sounds like to me. I'm not saying he's not sorry at all, <laughs> but... He's desperate in this situation, isn't he? And while he was a long way off, his father saw him and filled with compassion. How about that? Filled with compassion. He ran to his son, threw his arms around him and kissed him. And you, a lot of you guys know this, but societally, this was not normal. The Pharisees probably already don't like this guy. And basically, someone at that time, he probably would have been wearing a long cloak and like it wasn't very cool to run if you were a guy at that point. He probably had to hitch it up and do one of these type things, you know? It didn't look too attractive or cool at all. And the Pharisees probably have this in their mind like, whoa, this is, wait a minute, this guy, I knew he was soft, but come on. But the father said to his servants, as, first of all, the son says, Father, I've sinned against you, I'm no longer, and I feel like he just kind of interrupts him, he's like, Quick, bring the best robe, put it on and put a ring on his finger and sandals on his feet. Bring the fattened calf and kill it. Let's have a feast and celebrate. For this son of mine was dead and he's alive again. He was lost and now he's found. And they began to celebrate. 
The father says, I won't receive you as a servant, but I will receive you as a son. Jesus says to you today, I will receive you as a son or daughter, not a servant. That's how I receive you. That's my heart for you, the sinner, the sufferer. I sprint out to you and I jack up my robe to come and hug you and to love you, regardless of who you are or what you've done. Meanwhile, the older son was in the field and when he came near the house, he heard music and dancing and he called one of the servants and asked what was going on. Your brother has come, he replied, and your father's killed the fattened calf because he has him back, safe and sound. The older brother got angry, refused to go in, and so the father went out and pleaded with him. But he answered his father, look, all these years I've been slaving for you and I've never disobeyed your orders. Yet you never gave me even a young goat so I could celebrate with my friends. But when this son of yours has squandered your property and prostitutes comes home, you kill the fattened calf for him. I think in a lot of ways, this is the first character the Pharisees can relate to. Don't you? Not because he's not, not because he's angry necessarily as much as because the Pharisees felt like they were doing the right thing, didn't they? They were representing the Father. They were always with the Father. And yet, man, they could not relate to these other folks. The Father says, my son, you've always been with me and everything I have is yours. But we had to celebrate and be glad because this brother of yours was dead and he's alive again. He was lost and he's found. And here's, here's something I love as we are at one of one here. I really used to read this and think like, man, Jesus just told them, you guys. Didn't he? They were like, why are you eating with sinners? And he's like, you wanna know? Boom, three stories, boom, boom, boom. Mic drop at the end. And I just picture him walking off like to applause or something, you know. I really, I'm pretty certain that's not what it was. <laughs> and it's interesting that the older brother's response is not in the story. And I really feel like that's intentional. I feel like that is giving the Pharisees a chance to join Jesus on his mission to seek and save the lost because that's his heart for everybody. The Pharisees are always on the other side of the equation when we tell these stories, aren't they? And none of us ever wanna to relate to them, do we? <laughs> but I really feel like Jesus' heart was just as big for them. Like, you wanna follow me? Doors open. I'm ready when you're ready. Let's do this. That's the heart of Jesus, isn't it? That's what we want more of. So, do you want more of the heart of Jesus? How do we live life on mission, following Jesus to seek and save the lost? How do we do this in our regular lives? Let's talk about that. I got a few examples that might be helpful, okay? They're gonna come up on the screen here. Um, the first one to me is really simple and yet 
vital, and it's prayer. This is a church that has a high value for prayer. And I believe that it is the building block for everything that we want to do. Who are the people in your life that don't know Jesus that you're praying for? Who are the people in your life that are of great value that you're praying for? How often are you praying for them? There's a simple prayer that I like to pray for people that haven't accepted the invitation of Jesus yet. And I remember it because it's A, B, C, D. And I say, Lord, make them aware of your love. That's A. And then I say, Lord, bless their lives. And then I ask them to become curious about Jesus. That's the C. And the D is that he continue to draw them to himself. Pretty good, right? Covers a lot. <laughs> I'll say it one more time. Awaken to love, blessed, curious, and drawn. So if you don't have a prayer that you already use, you can steal that one. The next one is go where people are already gathering. As we follow Jesus on his mission, it looks like that maybe he is going to where the sinners and sufferers are. Doesn't it? Where do people already gather in Florence, in Burlington, in Union? Might be at the Y'all's Stadium, <laughs> right? It might be at First Watch. I'm certain people gather there. They've got a pretty good breakfast. It might be at a bar. Some people are gathering there, I'm sure. How can we make a point to not only invite people into the places that we are gathering like this, but also meet them where they're already at? And then eat with them and get to know them. I'll tell you what, Jesus loved to eat with people, didn't he? I wish I had written this down, but there's like so many passages in scripture where Jesus is like, let's go eat. Or it's like, well, they were eating and, well, this is what he does with Zacchaeus. Let's, I'm gonna go to your house and eat, <laughs> right? This is something we can all relate to. Everybody loves to eat. Come on, you guys, right? Eat with people. We have house groups at Vineyard Covington and the meal is one of the main components because we get to sit across the table and eat and share our lives. Who are the people in your life that you need to invite over for dinner? What if we all decided, hey, you know what I'm gonna do once a month? I'm gonna invite someone to dinner or go out to dinner with them that doesn't know Jesus with no agenda other than to get to know them better. Do you think anything might change over time? Think our hearts might change if we did that? A couple years ago, uh, my wife and I started to go to an amazing little bar and restaurant in Covington called the Wonder Bar. Anybody heard of the Wonder Bar? A couple of you have. It's just a little shotgun bar in Covington, and on Thursday nights, it's karaoke time. <laughs> I'm not kidding. And it is a, it is a unique place. I remember one of the first times I went there, a guy got up on stage and he's like, can I say something, man? 
Everybody needs to do something like this every now and then, to be vulnerable in front of people you don't know. And they looked at his buddy, he goes, record me, man. And I forgot. And his buddy brought his phone up and he started to sing a song. I don't remember what he sang, but I was like, he's right. We do need to do something vulnerable in front of people that we don't know every now and then. And so we showed up. We went to the place people were already gathering and we ate with them and we sang with them. Boy, did we sing. We're still doing it. So come on Thursday nights anytime you want. But the guy that runs karaoke there's an older guy named Will. And we kind of were starting to get to know him as we uh, showed up and sang. And he seemed like a pretty good dude. Single guy, uh, lives all the way up in Monroe. And uh, one night, last fall, my wife was uh, getting ready to sing. And she said something to Will like, hey, Will, what are you, what are you doing on Thanksgiving? And he kind of said he didn't really have any, you know, big plans. And she said, why don't you come to our house for Thanksgiving? And he said, well, what do I bring? <laughs> and you know what? Will came to Thanksgiving and we got to sit with him and family and friends and get to know him better over a pretty important meal, right? And I'll never forget that at the end of the night, when we were walking out to his vehicle, he said to me, thanks for accepting me just as I am. And I was like, whoa, <laughs> Will, I didn't see that coming, but I'll never forget it. <laughs> when you spend time with people and get to know them, you kind of realize who they are you kind of realize what their heart is, what they've been through. There were a couple times during our, our meal where he kind of teared up talking about some hurts from his past. And I was like, whoa. <laughs> and it really just had a lot to do with welcoming him in to what we were doing. And in that process, you'll get an opportunity to tell your story. You'll get an opportunity to share the gospel And a big part of that is just talking about what you love. We talk about what we love, don't we? Think about it. Y'all, I had some amazing wings a couple weeks ago at O'Brien's Pub in Newport. Has anybody ever had those wings? They are amazing. My wife and I were like, this is great. I've probably told 10 people about those wings, and now I've told all of you. Because <laughs> I love them. Or I saw this great movie and let me tell you about it. Or did you watch this game? Or, we talk about the things that we love, don't we? And we love Jesus a lot. Jesus is way better than wings. <laughs> so if you don't talk about Jesus, that's a good question to ask yourself. Why don't we do that? What if you decided, you know what I'm gonna do? I'm gonna make sure to mention the name of Jesus in casual conversation with people that don't know him once a month. What if you did that? What might happen? The conversation might shift. You might go below the surface. People are more ready to talk about that stuff than we realize, than we give them credit for. They really are. People are hungry for spiritual conversations. But we think, ah, they're not ready. 
I don't want to offend them. Talk about what you love and invite them into your life. I really think following Jesus on mission to seek and save the lost is a combination of two things, organic and organized. The organic things are the things that like, oh, I'm at Kroger and I just saw a person, I felt like God really drew them to me and I say, hey, do you have any pain in your back? I just, it's very organic. Or I'm having a conversation with someone and I get to share what I love, which is Jesus and wings maybe, okay? And organized is when we plan it. And to me, the best organized way to follow Jesus, to seek and save the lost, is a course called Alpha. Has anyone ever heard of Alpha? Yeah, that's my mom doing that, by the way. Because she loves Alpha. And she did Alpha with us last fall, Vineyard Covington. Really quickly, Alpha is a eight to 13 week course that is for people that don't have faith or, are, or have questions about faith. It's also for all of you and anybody that wants to be there. Because every time I do it, I fall in love with Jesus over again. But thousands and thousands of people have come to faith because of what the Holy Spirit has blessed in that course. So many people have come to faith because of the message in that course. And so I always say to our church, it's the best organized attempt that we've got. So who are you inviting? Who are you inviting? You can't control if people come or not, but you can control who you invite. And if you do it. And when it comes to all this stuff, going, eating, talking, inviting, invite people into your life, right? And church. You know what matters most? The attempt, the try. In the vineyard, we say faith is spelled R-I-S-K, don't we? One way to update that that I heard was, was really great. What if faith was spelled T-R-Y? Right? You can't control if someone decides to come to church if you invite them or alpha. You can't control whether or not someone decides to accept or agree with the things that you talk about that you love. But you can't control if you try or not. Let's celebrate trying. Let's tell our stories, our wins, our losses, because you're gonna have some losses. It's just part of the deal, right? But we really wanna celebrate trying. Does this make sense? Are we tracking? You guys are doing great. Thank you so much for listening. There's more though, there's more. Okay, I know that sounded like I was gonna wrap it up, didn't it? <laughs> I am, don't worry. But I just want us to think about this and I just want to um, give a quick summary. So we're talking about gospel fluency. We're talking about sharing our stories and we're talking about the heart of Jesus for sinners and sufferers. It's gentle and lowly. His heart for you is gentle and lowly. He says, come to me, come to me. And we wanna follow him on mission. I know this is a priority in house groups here right now is what are the missional things that you're stepping into, right? 
There's so many opportunities and options that you can get creative with. Talk to me later about more of those. We want to follow him on mission to seek and save the lost. But we can't do it if we don't ask for more of his heart. Right? I'm going to invite the worship folks back up a little early. And I also want to invite our prayer teams to come up right now as we're going to transition into some time of ministry. Because we believe God is alive and active and he's healing today and that he's speaking today. Okay? That's why we make time for this. We make time for the ministry of the Holy Spirit because it changes lives. It changes lives, doesn't it? There are a few things that I feel like God is leaning on right now that I want to mention. And the first is people that don't know where you're at with Jesus right now. You're not sure if you have life with Jesus yet. Or you feel like you've stepped away from it just enough that you need to recommit. This is another quote that I love from Gentle and Lowly. It says, the minimum bar to be enfolded into the embrace of Jesus is simply this. Open yourself up to him. That's it. It's all he needs. And it's the only thing that works. (laughs) In Matthew 11, he tells us who qualifies for fellowship with Jesus. You know who qualifies? All who labor and are heavy laden. That qualifies you for life with Jesus. Isn't that cool? So you don't need to unburden or collect yourself and then come to Jesus. It's your burden that qualifies you. What about that? The burden that you're feeling today, it qualifies you for life with Jesus. You don't have to do anything else but be open to him. Think again about the father and the lost son. He's running out to greet you in a way that does not look cool. (laughs) But that's his heart for you today. The other thing that I feel like is coming up is there's a lot of you that need a fresh taste of his heart for other people. You need a fresh feeling of the compassion and the love Some of you are like, I used to feel that way. I don't know what happened. I want it again. I want it again. Again, you're qualified in the same way that people from the first group are qualified if you're burdened by that. If some of the things I'm saying today are making you feel a little itchy, (laughs) probably the Holy Spirit nudging you towards recommitting to the heart of Jesus. And I think there's also a group of people that um, feel like the older brother right now. They just kind of feel like, hey, I've been here. Jesus, I've been walking with you a long time. And I'm starting to look at people that haven't done it with a little disdain, like, oh man. This guy, why doesn't he get it? (laughs) I think there's an opportunity and invitation for you to receive some prayer about that today. 
What about people that just need to be empowered to live a life on mission? That's all of you, by the way. (laughs) We need the power of the Holy Spirit. Have you realized that there's some things in your life that you can't do in your own power? Anything, maybe everything. I had a vision last week when I was in here um, at uh, the front of this area here being, there was a bunch of gas pumps up here, you know? And I felt like the, the invitation was, do you need to get refilled? Whether it's related to what I'm talking about today or not, this is a place where you get your tank filled. People that come forward to receive prayer aren't the people that are necessarily needy or broken, even though you're welcome, but it's people that are hungry. Are you hungry for more? Do you need more? This is one of the ways that you can receive it with this team. And the last thing that I wanted to mention is I just kind of felt like maybe there's someone here that might be feeling some resentment towards a family member. And it's just kind of weighing on you. I mean, it's Father's Day, it might be your dad, I don't know. And I just wanna say that there is power in forgiveness. There's power in forgiveness. Forgiveness doesn't say that what was done to you was okay. It doesn't say that you're just gonna be forgetting about it forever. It just says that you're not gonna carry that burden yourself anymore. So if there's someone you need to forgive, family member or others, would you come forward and just confess with your mouth to the prayer team today about that? Can we all stand? going to invite the presence of the Holy Spirit for a minute. So Holy Spirit, would you come right now? We invite your presence and your power here, Lord. We thank you for what you're already doing in the room. I just pray for a release of compassion. Release your compassion right now in Jesus' name. Release it, Lord. More, more compassion, more of the heart of Jesus. feeling that in your body right now, that's a good thing. And we want to bless that. Also just want to add that if you are in any physical pain, God loves to heal. And would love to see you come forward and ask for healing in your body. Yeah, more compassion. That, that's happening right now. Some of you are feeling that um, with emotion. That's the Holy Spirit. Just let it come. He just wants to meet with you because he loves you. He wants to run out and embrace you. Jesus, I thank you for what you've done here today. 
I pray that you would continue to soften our hearts for other people so that we can share your good news with them. We love you and we thank you. In Jesus' name, amen. Come up and receive prayer, everyone.